take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So, Robin, I, I have a quick question before we start. Um, my my dad always said, if you're ever talking to police officer, you always call them sir. Yes. So, do I have to refer to you as sir? No, 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 sir. You can refer to me as Robin. I remember one time I was really nervous going through a bride program and a, a female cop was there. And then instinctively I was just like, yes, sir. And she's like, sir. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, Robin, thank you for joining me uh, at uh, Silver Cop. Silver yeah, Hair Cop? At the Silver Cop. I should have wrote that down. Silver Hair Cop. It is Silver Hair. Not silver Hair. <laughs> and Dom? Yes. Yeah, you're going to have to lean right yes. into the mic. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, so... You were brought to me by uh, Sabrina, who was on this podcast uh, previously, yeah. uh, and we talked a lot about mental health and, and her story, and I, I, I know I've shared my story on this time uh, on this podcast a whole bunch. You come with kind of like a, a different story than most because um, I guess coming as like a first responder and, and as a police officer, you have a pr- pretty unique story. So I'm going to take it right to the beginning. Um, and just we'll kind of work our way through it. So I, I don't know if you want to start kind of like your early career and, and, and getting through it. And then we'll yeah. we'll get to the kind of like the diagnosis and, yeah. and the story. Yeah. So uh, I've been uh, a police officer for 11 years. Um, actually, 11 years on December 8th. So I just had my oh, wow. 11th year. Did you get a fancy gift? I didn't. Oh. No. <laughs> just a coffee. Um, yeah. So I uh, was hired in uh, 2008. Um Started my career. It's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, as a kid, I used to ride my bike around and uh, pull over my friends in the, in the neighborhood. I grew up in Bayshore, and I'd pull them over and do traffic stops on my uh, my bicycle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so it's something I've always wanted to do. And um, I mean, when I when I got the call in two thousand eight, I was I was really excited and and scared and nervous and nervous mm-hmm. as my daughter says. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then uh, you, you know you go from from there. You you get your uniform, and first thing I did was put it on at home and looked at myself in the mirror. I'm like, what the heck? Because <laughs> any other police officer I've ever seen, right, was sir. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, You're very high stewed. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I put it on, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is real. And um, yeah, I uh, went to uh, our professional development center uh is at uh, algonquin college so that's where we start um before we even go to the road before we even go to ontario police college which will be opc i'll probably say that mm-hmm. so, um so we go there and we kind of learn what ottawa does auto police and uh meet everybody else that's been hired with us and kind of introduce ourselves there and kind of get the the rundown of policing and policing in ottawa and then you go off to opc Ontario Police College, uh, and that's three months, so you're three months away, um, and then you learn everything about policing. So they teach you the basics, uh, how to basically from how to speak, how to drive your car, uh, obviously how to sh- shoot a gun, uh, all the arrests, all the laws. So there's provincial and and federal laws. Uh, then you have to write your exams, midterms. It's just like basically just like you're in college again or university yeah. so pretty like yeah like it's a whole university basically course degree on becoming a police officer it is yeah so lots of training a lot of training yeah, yeah. okay a lot to take in and it's like whew, man 
Yeah. This, you know, I started at 31, so I was, I was one of the older ones in the class. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, I was like, I've been out of study mode forever. Like, you know, so it was a bit, a bit, a bit more, not trickier, but it was just, I put my, that on myself. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, I got through it obviously successfully. Um, and then you get back and you, you go back to PDC at, uh, Algonquin and then you get put with your coach officer. So then with your coach officer, you do 500 hours. Um, and that's, uh. That's that's good because it's like, then you're really out there and you're you're on the road, um, and then you're then you're kind of learning. They basically like say, okay, everything you learned at OPC, throw it out the window <laughs> because now we're gonna teach you how, how it's really done on, on yeah. the road, right? So I'm sure like, everywhere is kind of different too. You know, like what an auto auto officer might teach you is a, maybe a little bit different from say a Toronto, mm-hmm. or is, yeah. or OPP or what because. I guess they get a lay of the land. They know the people. Yeah. They know the how everything kind of works. Yeah. And that's it. I can't speak for what they do in Toronto, yeah. what they do at the other services. But <clears throat> I know each service has their own way of doing it. We all fall under the same codes, like mm-hmm. um, Criminal Code of Canada. Obviously, yeah. Provincial codes and all that. And then the Code of, that, of Ethics and uh, Police Codes. And, um, but yeah, in Ottawa. So you, you get on the road and, and you're this fresh officer in this <laughs> pressed uniform and you look at your coach officer and you're like for me it was a, a male officer and I'm like well this guy is not he didn't look like he ironed his shirt <laughs> you know because that's all you do when you're at OPC right. you're like oh you got iron you get checked on your clothing your shiny boots and you're like okay that discipline factor yeah, type yeah. thing which yeah. is great which is good right so um but yeah then you get to the road and you're you're there and um for me you, you don't know what to expect. So you go out, you're, you know, fresh faced and you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. What's going to happen. And for me on my first day, uh, we got a, um, a murder. Oh, so I was like thrown right into it. So, <laughs> the, kidding, yeah. Yeah. so when I, when I got to the call, I won't go through the whole call because mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be before the courts again. Um, but when I got to the call, all I, I remember walking through the door and thinking like, oh my gosh, what, what is this? This is crazy. I might like, and then I was like, okay, where are the cameras? This isn't real. This is like set up. Like but it was just, it was CSI like, type thing. oh yeah, there was, there was the, like everything you see in movies. And I watched, I used to watch the first, uh, 48, which is a, a right. Yeah. Detective show in, uh, uh, the States. And I remember looking, and I'm like, this is exactly what it's like. And it was so surreal. But it at that right at that moment, I I thought this is gonna change me. Hmm. I was like I was just it, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna look at the world the same way. And that was like at that point I don't think it really hit the that effect on me. I I, I felt Okay, this is this is weird. How can someone do that to somebody? Yeah. Um, but at that point, I didn't really know the effect that it that it had. When you were like going through the training, you know, all those years of school, was was this type of stuff discussed? It like were were people like, look, you're gonna see some horrible things, and you're gonna see them before a lot of other people. Yeah. Like, here's how you prepare for how you prepare for it. Here's some tips and tricks, uh, like oh, you know, like take a walk, 
I know that's one of those basic no, I, things. Um, like, did you feel, I know no one could be prepared for it, but did you feel like there was at least a little bit of a baseline where you're like, okay, like, I can go back on my notes here, like, uh, like, yeah, stage the scene, like, don't yeah. empathize. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there, there's no, unfortunately, there's not enough training to get you prepared for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about, they do talk about it, but they don't drive it home the effects that it can have. They talk about a bit about mental health and like the, the possibility of the effects, and certain things will affect some officers that don't affect others Mm -hmm. and the dealing with it. And they talk about the old school mentality of policing where you, you laugh it off dark humor. You, and unfortunately go to the drinks. Yeah. Go out after shift. Every cop show in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, they don't hone in on, on that enough. They talk about going to get help if you feel you need it, but there's no after care. There's no, like when you go in situations, there's not enough done. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't force anybody to go and do it, but for me, they need to emphasize that more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it would seem like being a police officer, there's so much that goes into it. So there's not only this this mental health aspect that we're talking about and, and the the experiences of trauma, I'm sure, and, and you know, dealing with these gruesome scenes, mm-hmm. but, you know, you're interacting with the public constantly in mm-hmm. all these different <clears throat> situations, sometimes not stressed, sometimes high-stressed. Uh, you know, you have to deal with each person individually. There's all the laws you have to follow. Am I am I doing everything? Am I going to blow the case? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and this is just me who's totally outside. Yeah. Who just like you said knows detective shows. I'm like, yeah. oh, like, like this this job is like, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it would seem it's impossible to be perfect at being a police officer because there's just there's too much to it oh, for yeah. like people to hand like. Yeah truly grasp you can be a good officer but like it's just yeah, yeah. to be that quote-unquote perfect like it's yeah i don't yeah. it's almost an impossible it is to me it's an impossible task to ask people to to try to do this and keep everybody orderly and safe and <laughs> yeah it is it is a almost the impossible task yeah so too. then on the meantime it's like okay so i'm trying to worry about everyone else yeah but, like how are you supposed to worry about what's going on with you and that's it <clears throat> as a police officer you put the safety of others first before yourself. And that's right. such an unnatural thing to do. You don't, when you go out, when you go out to your house and you get in your car, the first thing you do is you put yourself in safety first, right? You buckle up and mm-hmm. you do, you take all precautions to get home at the end of the day. Now in policing, you do still do take all those precautions. You take precautions when you're out on the road, when you're going to calls, but if there's imminent danger or if there's a shooting or anything, we're there. Like I'm paid to put myself in, in the line of fire. Yeah. And your right, job was everyone's to, running one way. You're running right. We're it. we're running towards yeah, as they say, running towards the gunfire, the danger, while everybody while we're trying to get everybody else away from it. Right. So <clears throat> it's very it's a very unnatural thing to do to train your brain and your body to say, okay, I'm going to go towards that. Mm-hmm. So um, you're at your first scene. You kind of realize, okay, what I'm seeing here, this might change me. What are some of the other things that led along your career as as we start progressing more towards today mm-hmm. um that kind of stand out to you in your mind that that really had like that took you to the point where you know i'll let you tell the story of what, yeah. what happened but mm-hmm. some major like sticking points for you yeah so it's a it's an accumulation of of things i see okay and, and it's it's an add up of of the things, a lot of them were were suicides, you know, and or um, 
death of other officers and um you know when in my when i first started uh constable chapnick was murdered so that was it for, like i was young in my career mm-hmm. when he was murdered at the civic hospital so you know you talk about that as well at opc and you talk about the the chan- the possibility of <clears throat> other officers or yourself being killed and uh not finishing your career right um and but when it happens you're like holy shit right. you know like, no you can turn the pot <clears throat> yeah. <It's> fine. <laughs> holy shit like this is this is fucking real yeah you know and it, it just it floors you because you're like so when he when he was murdered I was working till four in the morning. I was woken by my phone going off. People saying, you know, are you okay? Because they don't release the name right away. And I'm like, yeah, what the heck is going on? And like, you didn't hear? And then I heard, right. heard obviously, and then I was up. <clears throat> so from there, I went to shift that night again. So you have to you, you have to put those emo- emotions aside, right? And again, that's an unhu- unhuman, <laughs> an unnatural Yeah thing to do because you know growing up i mean i was taught like it's okay to have your emotions it's okay to interesting to, okay. to cry it's okay to to be sad or happy and you know i had a i had that upbringing but as policing when we're on scene when we're doing things we have to suppress those those emotions we have to push them down because we can't break down in front of people mm-hmm. right then there's also the whole stigma of like we're, we're cops there's a book out there uh cops don't cry written by a uh a wife of a police officer and it, it it's true where you're you're taught to be like we're you're a different breed right yeah yeah you're in but the we're, face of tragedy you right. have to be the one calm yeah. yeah and and that's that's where the the trouble can start because if you don't release those emotions and you just keep bottling them mm-hmm. and pushing them down and piling them up and piling them up eventually it's gonna you're like the bucket it's gonna yeah. flow right so yeah so you know, like a lot of, I've been to a lot of suicides. And then what I started doing is sitting there. So if I sat with somebody that just died or committed suicide, I would be like, okay, what were they doing? Who were they? What were they doing the night before? What were they doing right before this moment? And I started putting myself in their, in their shoes, which isn't a bad thing, but as long as you can control it. Mm-hmm. And what I did, I didn't control it. I started doing the old school thing and, and joking and, um, you know, the dark humor came and, um, I drank, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I was an alcoholic per se, but I, I had drinks and I turned to drinks because it would numb the pain, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but I didn't, you know, I was, that would, I'd go home or I'd go out with the, with the uh, platoon mates and I'd have a few and then I'd go home and I would just, you know, try and forget it and cut that out of my mind but eventually i mean the faces come back and in, in nightmares night terrors um and then they don't go away and then and then you start thinking okay well when am i gonna die when's my turn you know and mine manifested so much uh so in in 2000 and probably 2015 2016 2016 for sure was the really bad year mm-hmm. <clears throat> it just manifested into thoughts, dark thoughts, weird, weird, weird thoughts, you know, and, and almost like it was a an outer body ex- experience for me that I didn't feel like I was in my life, a part of my life. Like my kids, I'd look at my kids, I'm like, 
I was like, I didn't want them around me. I started pushing people hmm. away, isolating myself. Um, I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have a good support system at home, unfortunately. Um, so I didn't have that for me. So I was kind of isolated by the person I was with at that time, my, right. my wife. <laughs> um, and so I was like left on my own. Uh, my poor mother would get phone calls at three in the morning of me just paranoid and crying and panicking and wondering, you know, I'd, it's it's hard to explain what I was going through, but it it manifested so much that um, I started. Uh, what's the what's the word? Oh my gosh, I can't. The word's gone. But I would I was in my I was having a shower one day, and I all of a sudden I was like, "What if this isn't real? What if this is not my life?" And I'm in like honestly a, like a fucking loony bin. And I'm I'm thinking that this oh, whole wow. thing was my life. So psychosis is the word I'm okay. For. So it started. I'm like, oh my gosh! And that was that I thought was the scariest thing. But that just it kept going. And I hadn't spoken to anybody about this. I hadn't talked to anybody about these these feelings. I had I had thoughts like a thought would flash on my head. I'm like, I wonder what those people would think if I just took my gun out and started shooting. So and then I'm like, whoa. <clears throat> Then I got, I was starting to get scared of my gun. That's kind of, that reminds me, uh, speaking of Sabrina, who we mentioned off the top, that, that was also her. And I was trying to get a, a sense of what that feeling is like in the moment. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Mm. So, you know, <clears throat> in retrospect, you can sit there and talk about, yeah, this is what I was going through. Mm -hmm. This is what I was feeling. Um, you've, you, you know, you've received the diagnosis. So like now you look back, but during that moment, during this time, like, did you recognize this was was all happening? Um, and I, I'm curious to find out. So when I give some of my talks, one of the things that I say is like, while I'm speaking, I'm like, yeah, you know, I had anxiety and I had depression. and I, But in the moment, and when I got up to the point where I tried to commit suicide, like none of that was like registering as things happening. It was just in the moment, you don't even re like realize it. Mm -hmm. So like, while you're going through this, like... Is it just day to day for you? Like it just, this is where I'm at now. This is this is my life. Like when the psychosis is happening, you're scared of your gun. Um, like, do you reckon you're like, whoa, like something might be wrong here? Uh, I know maybe not to the extreme end with the mm. with the psychosis, but like going out and drinking and the anxiety and and depression and the mm. the nightmares. Like, do you recognize it at the time that it's like I'm starting to lose a grip a little bit, or is it just like? Just try to move on. Just keep going. Yeah, when it first started, when it in the beginning, I was, I it was, it was that. You just like, okay, whatever. I'll just keep going and keep mm -hmm. moving through it. It's not gonna. <clears throat> this isn't that. You know, you get a grip of it, and you're like, okay, that's not real. But then they start coming in stronger. They're more. Uh, the, the time between them is is shorter, so you're like, okay, maybe I am kind of losing my shit here mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and maybe 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 there is something wrong but i still didn't go because that whole stigma of being a police officer and not talking about it it's so prevalent it's mm -hmm. it, it, and it's so strong because i was like i can't i what i can't go and say something they're going to take my job they're going to take my gun right i'm not i can't i have to i have a family so there's that stigma of 
cops don't cry. You've got to be tough. You're tougher than, you know, you're a breed apart or a different mm-hmm. breed, right? All that is like piling on top of all this other stuff. So now I'm fighting with these these thoughts and dark moments where, yeah, I'm not really like, not, and then, sorry, and then the, the thought of like, oh, shit, I can't say anything. Can't talk about it because I'm going to lose my job. Um, so now I'm in a battle with myself. So then they, for me, it was like that just get fed those anxieties, fed those thoughts and fed the feelings, right? Mm-hmm. That to a point where I was like, I have no control. You know, and I was like, I started thinking like, I get it why people commit suicide. I can see why someone would kill themselves. So I started sympathizing, empathizing with people that kill themselves. And, you know, and and I got so far down that that funnel that suicide was my way out. And I thought this is the only way I can stop this because I can't stop it. I can't get mm-hmm. rid of these thoughts. I can't get rid of this feeling. It was like, it's so hard to de- describe and you've been through it that it's this pit and it's this darkness and this is like fogginess and this whole thing where you're just like, I'm not, this isn't even real and it would just be better to not deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I got, there was, just before I went, I I was going into the change room at the end of shift and I was taking out my gun and I was looking at it and I was like, maybe I'll just put it to my head just to feel what the metal feels like against my temple. You know, and I was like, that luckily for me scared the shit out of me. And I was like, oh, I can't, I don't want to die. The action or the feeling? The, 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 like that you the, could the do action, that? That I could do that and that... Okay. I was like, this is, I've got to go, I have to go talk to somebody. And actually I should say that I did, before going to a doctor, I did speak to somebody and a fellow officer and she was like, I'm having the same thoughts or I was having the same thoughts and I went and talked to somebody and you need to go talk to this doctor. So this do- the doctor that I went to, uh, Dr. Murray, he's a, uh, an XOPP officer. Um, and when I, talked to him and I told him about what I was doing and the, with the gun against my head and just to see what it would feel like. That's when he was like, you don't understand that you were that you were very close. Cause the next point would be like, let's pull the trigger and see how far I can go. Right. So as much as I didn't have a plan, it was kind of already working its way in without me even really yeah. knowing about it because that was the only way I could stop what was happening in my head and stop what was happening with my body. The psychosis of the, like, this isn't real. Like I'm not, I'm not real. This family's not real. Those aren't my kids. It, it was the scariest, like a complete dissociation. Dissociation. From yeah. Um, that to me, I, so even as involved with the mental health community, as I've become, I've never heard, that like your story of it happening kind of like organically like mm-hmm. where like most people have a plan i had a plan um every like i've talked to people on this podcast and they always like it was well thought out this is what i'm going to do mm-hmm. and that's how it's going to be done but for this i've never heard that it just like step incrementally just yeah. step by step that you know you, you're just moving it without really realizing it yeah like thankfully you did like but like I think that's a uh, an important point to a point to illustrate to to people listening that like there's there's 
different ways this can yeah. happen. And like you said, that you can start thinking, like you started putting yourself of the people who did commit suicide mm -hmm. and being like, oh, like, okay, maybe if they were experiencing it, like, yeah. I understand it. That like to me that that I've never heard it and like that is that's scary. Yeah, that really is. Well, and that's and I think that's the scary part about suicide because I don't believe that every suicidal person has a plan. I think some people just get to that point, like I was, mm -hmm. and it just happens because for whatever reason they don't speak up and they don't talk about it and they don't come forward. You know, and, and, and that's the terrifying thing because I didn't, even myself, when, when Dr. Murray told me, like, you don't realize how close you were, I was, I was, I broke down, you know, and that's when he had, that, right after telling him all that, my whole story, I think I spoke for an hour that day and I didn't take a breath and I think he just sat there, <laughs> you know, he didn't really say anything and, and that's the day that I was diagnosed with PTSD, um, you know, and and I don't think I realized how close I was, mm -hmm. you know, but, I, but it was the only way in my mind at that point that it would end because right. I thought I can't, I, I can't live the rest of my life like this. Yeah. So this was 2016, 2016. So 20, end of 2016. Right. And I was diagnosed in 2017. So, um, another point of my talks is, um, I talk about, you know, me, me leading up with my mental illness story that, no one was talking about it openly, so I didn't recognize anything was really wrong mm -hmm. going, like, of my, my thought process. So in terms of, like, what you were going through, for, for me, 2015 was, like, a pivotal year because that was, like, a big social media bell let's talk kind of, like, transition into the world where, you know, I shared my story, but it just kind of seemed like that social media started to be taken over that day, where it was always mm -hmm. before, but, like people were really starting to share stories as social media was starting to progress into what it is today. So, you know, you, you got your diagnosis in 2016 before then people still weren't really talking about it in society as a, in, in general, but we, at least from the outside, people understand that first responders typically do have support that some other people don't. So I'm wondering what the support was like, for for officers or, or anyone else like that i'm sure you had a number or you had people to talk to but what was like the education process about it you know like was it just like here just call this number if you need help we we know that doesn't work <laughs> yeah you know what what was like the scene like because obviously you felt like you couldn't have someone to talk to mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure the support was there but like how was that yeah. fed yeah so it's um like i said that that whole fear of you know, losing, losing the job and, mm -hmm. um, the stigma tied behind, you know, what's police officers being strong and, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be affected by things the way other people are affected. That was the, that was the big thing that held me back. The, the support is there through EAP, employee assistance program, right? Right. So there <clears> is support <throat> out there, but it's not pushed. There's no, yeah. there, there's no education for people to, know the signs of someone that's not talking right because i went to calls i was still going to calls mm -hmm. and think and feeling all this so i would be going to calls panicked inside and on the outside i was taking care of a situation that i was in mm -hmm. so i was going to de the death calls i was going to suicide still all the while suffering inside and now now looking at these people that have 
commit suicide thinking like, I get it. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 but no one came to me and said, Robin, you've been a bit different lately. Yeah. Is everything okay? Like there was none of that. So it's, it's, that's what I'm for my advocacy is to bring that to light to say, you know, that it is okay to not be okay. That I know cliche, mm-hmm. right. But to say that and, and to, to teach people to see the signs of yeah. somebody that's suffering without them speaking. That's, that's which a, is hard. It's hard, but that's exactly kind of, you know, my beef with not beef, but with society that mm-hmm. we just it's like, yeah, like if you're feeling wrong like bad, just call a number. Yeah. And you're like some people might, I know I have, mm-hmm. but like when you know, we're we're in the frame of mind of someone like you who's now maybe going through psychosis mm-hmm. um or or that's like complete detachment from sort of a reality you're not going to pick up the phone and call somebody no you know like you need to have someone rely on and and a big thing i have you know just being in the regular workforce is the fact that like managers have zero training in this type of thing so they're just like like it's an employee like me it's like hey you're a manager now go and then you know you manage someone like me who's like has all these like issues and needs like certain supports yeah and like my manager's just like, thankfully we have a great relationship and we can really talk about it. And I, I'm open, but not everyone's like that. Yeah. And not every manager's like that. So like, you're you're just throwing people to the walls and just be like, yeah, call a number or here's a little info sheet. It's like, no, you really need like, like this full on support network of not only people but resources. And it has to be more than just a number to call or or an an app. You know, like an informal app where you're just messaging someone like, hey, I yeah. feel like shit. Oh, are you okay? Like, no, 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 no. Like, you yeah. need support. So especially, and that's just the workforce. Um, I had uh, a gentleman, Michael Dixon, on the podcast before. And he was is a funeral director. And he uh, started a, a peer support group for funeral directors. But a similar thing that he was going to calls and I didn't understand that like funerals, people have to pick up calls and you see, you know, bodies and Mm. and suicides and you're the one who has to kind of clean it up. And like, you just, as a member of the public, you like, you understand, oh yeah, first responders see the worst things, but that's all it is to us. It's like, oh, they must see really bad things. It's not like you said, like a complete depiction of like, like an actual criminal minds murder scene that like Mm -hmm. you're seeing this and you have to deal with this. Yeah that like the stress and and the turmoil and you can, you can see what it did yeah. to you and so many different people. It's just, yeah. it's uh, you know, to, to just, here's a number, go and call It's, it's not it's, enough. Absolutely yeah. not. It's not. And it's not as easy because with me, you know, I can't speak for everybody obviously, mm-hmm. but for me, it was also a, a trust thing. There was like a lot of my mind was telling me like, Oh, you don't want to trust that or tell somebody that or tell that person because there was mm-hmm. break, break of trust for in my life around right. that time as well you know and it was just yeah like you yeah the calling the number it's it's great but then you get off the phone and you're still alone and then what yeah you're you're okay thanks and the person then you start you know you depending on how who you are and how you are you hang up the phone you're like that person thinks i'm a fucking loser <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean like i am a loser and yeah, they must think i'm crazy yeah, or yeah something like that yeah um so once you you got your you finally shared you got your diagnosis mm-hmm. like what were some of the things that you had to do to try to like reshape 
your life and 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 heal yeah um because i think that's also an important part it's like yeah the the story but like what are what are some what's the work you had to do to mm. to get better and 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 start healing and and start fixing things around you yeah yeah so i mean there's always obviously all the medication out there yeah. right uh i'm against medication for that's my own personal thing okay. um so you know my my journey of recovery and healing is a lot longer than than some however i feel that my outlook on medication and and i think everybody should do their own thing and if they need the medication at the time then then take it for me i feel it just masks what's going on mm -hmm. so or kind of blankets it and if you're not talking about it if you're not going to the to therapy if you're not working on it however way you do it then it, it's you're not gonna get better I, that's yeah you know that's my personal opinion <clears throat> well i like, don't want that to i'm be like, on medication yeah but i share the same belief this isn't like it's not just to take a pill and <laughs> yeah and and don't get know? me wrong i like i said like i i, I hope i came across that i don't think no. medication is wrong for, it's not for you for, and that's fine right, i know a lot of people like that me. because i wanted to you know and i i wanted to get better you know and do it on my own and i you know, I have a bit of a, maybe a bit of a fear of medication, right? And I don't want to. A lot of people, they, uh, they don't want to feel that numbness. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and, uh, I know like people feel kind of like the same thing you were that like a just dissociation mm -hmm. and, a, and yeah. uh, just a lack of general emotion. You just yeah. become kind of plain. Thankfully that's not my experience right. with medication. Um, I mean, there are side effects like everything, but, and it's not a whole thing about medication. I know you're not no, no, against no. medication, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I also, when I'm talking about like, a lot of people just think, oh, I, I got my medication, everything's gonna be all right now, and it's like, no. And I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. Um, that there's there's real work. Yeah, yeah. Um, that goes into it. Yeah. So, I mean, what yes. sort of things did you? I know, like therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So through the therapy, I did, uh, you know, some cognitive therapy and. What's the the one I just did was uh, oh my gosh I always forget it. You have two little buzzers in your hands and they go off back and forth mm. in your hands. So you have one buzzer in your left, one or one in your right, and your left. Not that the people could see what I was doing. <laughs> I made a mistake there. <laughs> and then you close your eyes and you relive the whole experience. So the the, the trauma. Mm. So as you're doing it, the buzzing back and forth creates almost like a rapid eye movement. So basically you go through, this is all cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. um, and you go through the, the scenario and you relive it and then you change it. You do, you do it again and you kind of change something. What would you do different in this, in that situation? Then you go through it again and you kind of change it again. So there's stuff like that. Um, a lot of like, you know, the, uh, if I get a thought or if I get a feeling or if I get, you know, if I'm anxious, okay, where is this coming from? You know, what validity is behind that thought? Mm -hmm. You know, why, where did that thought come from? You know, and, and is there any truth behind it? You know, and I, I think, again, for some people that, that doesn't work, you know, and, and I think for me, it worked because I think I'm just a stubborn, I am stubborn. <laughs> I looked at my girlfriend. As Dom yeah. not so bad, yeah. And I am, and I'm very determined at times. And mm -hmm. with this... I wanted to be better because the only other option was mm -hmm. the the bad option, right? right? The the one and I I'd feared death. 
you know, and I was like, I don't, when am I going to die? That was that the fear that began, right? Like, well, when, when am I going to die? Am I, you know, and, and that just manifested into like, I think that's the only way I can get out of it. Um, so I was determined, determined to, to make it work and to get rid of it. And it, it took a while mm -hmm. and there, you know, it was still scary while I was doing it. It was very hard for me to just be like, fuck you brain, shut up. You know, this isn't real. That thought isn't real, you know, and I, I would get panic moments and, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I would go through the nightmare still. And I think, you know, and it, I think like what you said with the, with the medication where it, you, some people have that disassociation, it numbs them. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think that's what I was really afraid of, of feeling that again and feeling that horrible feel. It was like a horror movie for me. Right. It was so terrifying. So. Yeah, I just worked hard and hard and hard. And I'm not, you know, I'm still going through my recovery. I'm still healing. And I basically brought everything back to the surface again when I went public with my PTSD. Right. Because then I was, like, talking about it again and reliving kind of those moments and those memories. And, you know, and, and then I started having nightmares again. And mm. <clears throat> I'm... <sighs> The nightmares I can't even, you know, they're they're always the same for me. I'm always a, a police officer, and there's always someone chasing me, but I can't see them. And then all of a sudden, they're they're there in front of my face. Don't know who it is. Don't know what it is. And I wake up in panics. Um, so yeah, my recovery is continual. Yeah, I I think that's also really important to note, and just common with everyone who kind of speaks out about their mental illness and and mental health. That I always say it's a full time job, like. Mm -hmm. It, it might get better for some people, but I'm of a belief that like I don't think I'll ever truly be better, and it's just something I have to work through every single day. And, I, and it's important to note that it's just like, okay, I got my diagnosis, and then I did some really hard work, and <laughs> here I am now sharing my story, and everything is great, and, and got the great this and great that, and you can too, you yeah. know. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not quite like it. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it is, and, and yeah. good for them, but like, like it's the work. Yeah. And that's what scares oh. a lot of people off. It's yeah. like the work that you have to go into it, not only physical work with, with exercise or with, you know, um, whatever it is, but like just that mental work. And when you're trying to recover through something and you're putting this stress on your brain of like trying to recover, mm -hmm. like it, like that almost in itself is creating different emotions and yeah. things going through your mind. Yeah. And that it just, I, I, I hope it one day like subsides and then you're just like, yeah, well, and that's and that's the thing. Like, I asked my doctor when it, when I was diagnosed. I said, "Okay, well, you know, will I be able to get back to the road? Will I be able to go back to what I joined policing for?" Right, right. And he said, "I don't know. <laughs> that's you know, it's up to you, and up, obviously up to him to sit for him to say yes. You're good enough to go back to the road. You're healed enough or recovered enough to go back to the road." And I said, "Well, will this?" Will PTSD, will it, will I fully recover? Will it be gone? He's like, you, like you said, you're never really gonna, it's not gonna go away. It's a, classified as a brain injury now, right? Mm, PTSD. I didn't know that. Yeah. So okay. they classified as a brain injury. So basically, it's gonna always be there. Mm -hmm. I learned to live with it, live being the operative word because I do live with it. It doesn't define who I am. I live with PTSD and I, and I 
live a full life, right? Mm -hmm. So I learned to do things differently, think things differently. I still get the thoughts. I still get moments where I'm down and dark moments and feeling depressed and mm -hmm. feeling sad, you know, and like my girlfriend, Dom, she's, she's seen it. And, you know, I, I sometimes will be watching something and it'll be on suicide and I'll just break down because it's, it's close to home, right? It's right. It's fresh. Like it's, and so I that's always going to be there. And that's what like truly a trigger is. I think we've kind of mm -hmm. numbed the word in, in society with yeah. the internet and stuff with the word triggered, yeah. but like, like it, it's a clinical like thing that happens yeah. with people, right? Like there's things that happen that actually mm -hmm. affect them real, take you back to the, the moment, mm -hmm. relive trauma, you yeah. know, like I hate that society's made it kind of like a joke. Oh, you're triggering me. Yeah. But like, it, like that shit's serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'm curious, Dom, if you if you want to join in the mic, because, you know, when I speak about mental health, I have people on here speaking about mental health. It's like, okay, we, we hear those stories, but you never hear necessarily who's affected by yeah. by our stories. Um, so I'm curious and, and share what, what you're willing to share. But what's it like, you know, living with i'm sure he's kind of mean and scary oh, but, yeah. sure. <laughs> but yeah. like you know i don't like him at all do you <laughs> so something i'm always worried about is i don't want to put the weight of what i'm dealing with on on my girlfriend or the mm -hmm. or the person i love because um or my family because i'm like i don't i burden the weight i don't want them to burden the weight she's always like telling me to cut that shit because don't be stupid yeah, um of so like you That's know support. yeah exactly what what what's it like for you um you know he has ptsd we, we were talking yeah. about his whole life just even hearing this story i'm sure you've heard it but um what's it like for you well at, like at first like it's like you know robin got diagnosed in early 2017 and we actually met in early 2017 so this is this wow okay yeah so it wasn't like far off from like when he got diagnosed with ptsd and I think, like, you know, after, like, during our second date, you know, he said, I have PTSD. And I didn't take that, like, okay, no, like, that's, f fuck that shit. I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not going to be with you because you have this. I'm going to support you because I like you a lot. And so, you know, it, it was at the beginning, you know, like, going over to his house and then he'd be doing the dishes and all of a sudden he'd be like, crying and like sobbing and it was because he was remembering you know his I think his last call was you know the one that really put him over and you know he would talk about this call and and how it affected him and how he could remember the face and how he could remember those moments and the the sounds and you know the parents and all those kinds of things that was going on in that particular moment and so you know those those moments so it was like you know that first year 2017 was hard because I'd come home and he'd be crying and you know trying to figure out okay well you know what you know what's going on and it's hard because you don't really I didn't I don't live with that yeah you know I've got my own mental um, health issues and you know I, again like how you said you know you don't want to burden that person he's not a burden mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's, it was, it was really interesting. And then even like him waking up in the middle of the night, you know, freaking out, right. having panic attacks and you know, that, you know, you just, 
I don't know. I think if if you really want to be with somebody and you've got you've got to you got to support that person. Right. So it, I think I think I was a really good support system. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's beautiful and wonderful. Um cuz I think that that must have been really scary for you to yeah. say that on your second date. You're like, I really like this person. And, it, you know, I kind of got to be really like straight up because if we're going to continue this, like she's going to be like, what the hell That's is going exactly on? What, yeah. Like both of us kind of came at each other with like, oh, like, you know, I've done this and I've got this. And it was just, yeah, I think, you know, I think it was important because we both really, really liked each other at the time. And yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to be scared of something like that, if somebody's saying, oh, I've got PTSD, then you know you should probably not continue but right well, no. i think it was scary for you yeah that was it that was the, the whole burden thing right i'm like okay i i do like this girl on the second date right <laughs> but i was like i don't want to burden her with my ptsd so she has a right to know that i have this mm-hmm. and that i do suffer and that this mm-hmm. is very fresh you know even though it, it's fresh diagnosis i'd been dealing with it and suffering for a year and a, a bit, right? So, well, probably longer than that, slowly, mm-hmm. as it went. But, yeah, I just didn't want to burden her. And I didn't want her to have to to be with somebody like that if she didn't want to. So mm-hmm. she gets to make that choice, right? So, yeah, right. it was terrifying because I'm like, I, could, I just finally met somebody. I'd been dating a bit. And I'm like, Fuck, I'm not connecting with anybody. You know, and that's not something in your Tinder profile. No, right for me, PTSD. Right for PTSD. That gives a lot of people an option to run. I remember <laughs> when I was single, we laugh about it, but like it was a, a serious thing because like yeah. there's issues that will come up. That you know, it's it's gonna be really hard to navigate, and yeah. I don't know if you're gonna want to have to deal with that when you could go off and be well. And that's happy. it, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. we laugh about it now but i don't know like even like you know when he said like you know we'd be sitting there and watching tv and it was like moments where like you know somebody would would have died or like somebody committed suicide you know like he would just like start wailing and, and and crying and he would cry for a long time so like you just have to, you have to be there for that person. You really just, really have to comfort that person. Mm-hmm. You need to talk. You, you got to be there for them to talk. And like, I don't cry though. I'm a cop. Right. <laughs> he cries all the time. <laughs> I do too. You know what? I cry I commercials like, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's. I know I'm getting old because now I'm crying at commercials. <laughs> oh, but just, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, like you know, and 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 recently, you know, he's he he has started this journey where he has publicly come out with his diagnosis of PTSD and that's not easy for him either Mm -hmm. because you know there's these colleagues of his that probably are like oh yeah okay like oh he's got PTSD whatever fuck that shit like he's good you know he's not man enough or whatever but you know what that's it's serious Mm -hmm. and it's not a joke and I have seen it and we still like deal like deal with that like you know he, he when he came out uh, on social media that he, he was diagnosed with PTSD. Like, I don't even think that your kids really knew. Uh, I think I, maybe not. That's, <laughs> um, that's, like yeah. that's been one of the biggest sticking points with me. Cause I, when I started, I was single, so I would just put yeah. anything mm. on social media. Yeah. yeah. But now I'm, I've been dating someone for a little over a year now and I realized I can't, yeah. I can't 
do that. But what I did all the time, I can't do anymore because now maybe it's something I haven't told them or yeah. This, yeah. this new part of my life. Yeah. And you just put it out there on social media, not thinking. Yeah. And like that's created some, you know, some, some learning things for me. It's like, okay, like I got to think about how this affects yeah. more than me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's, it's still important we get the message out that like I can't just be like, because I, I did that to my parents too. I didn't tell them about my suicide attempt. I put it on social media first. Oh, right? Yeah. Like That's tough. And it's, it's, yeah, it's it's difficult and, and learning to talk yeah. more in person and, and have those personal one-on-ones with yeah. people instead of just, here's a Facebook post and everyone's like, what the f- like, yeah. what is going yeah. on? <laughs> and it was like, too, like, uh, you know, the, the one thing that he actually shared with me when he when we first started dating was actually, so I guess, like, the diagnosis um, from, you know, Dr. Murray, like, I read this, like, thick, I don't know, like, manual almost, like, of, yeah, of, it was... of all of the calls. Well, mo- some m- the biggest ones. The big ones I that think. affected me, yeah the biggest ones that affected him. And I was like, oh my God. Like the stuff that is in those calls and the things that he had seen and the things he dealt with, I don't, I, yeah. it, you, you, you know, like, like you said earlier, like, oh, cops, you know, like, oh yeah, they just go and they, you know, they deal with whatever they got to deal with and whatever, but you don't have an appreciation for, yeah, it's, for what, what they do. We've become really. so desensitized to not you know to war to murder to killing it's it's on our movies it's in there yeah they like it's it's part of our pop culture now that like and a lot of the times you it's just it's a scene in a movie yeah and when when you paint it vividly of like these things that you like you see everything that like even things they don't want you to see in movies because it's too graphic or grotesque oh yeah like that's what yeah. you have to yeah, deal with. It was, it's crazy. And I remember, you know, going back to Michael Dixon, he told me a story on Christmas Eve that he had to, I don't, I don't repeat it too much, but that he had to go to the scene of an accident on Christmas Eve and like a fan, young family and the presents were scattered all across oh. the high, like, yeah. And even him just saying that to me, it's like, okay, yeah, that's really bad. But that, that doesn't paint the picture of what yeah. it's actually like to be in that moment. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, you know, like, I, I don't know if you could pinpoint it, but like if you could give a percentage to how many people who are in the police force that probably have PTSD, like I would assume it's very, very, very high. Yeah. It's so I look, I kind of looked into that as well. Obviously when I'm, you know, when I came forward with everything and uh, it's around, I think it was 28.77% of all first responders, um, will or have suffered with PTSD in their career. That's like 70,000 first responders out of, oh my gosh, I think it was a hundred and, I can't remember. The, I don't bet quote me on the number. Of, yeah. But it's around 70,000 first responders across Canada. And truly, I bet the number is higher. It's probably higher. That, I'm, not a, I'm not a math wizard. No, <laughs> but we just talked about it. Like that stigma, especially around your whole profession, mm-hmm. is Well, that's it. That's still Those there. are the ones that come forward and talk, right? Yeah. Like so there's probably the people who answered no when maybe they're just in the beginning, right? When you're right. just saying, I have some anxiety yeah. or you have depression or maybe it's misdiagnosed. Well, it's a, or, and that's it. It's amazing. You know, since I did, sorry to cut you off there, right? No, no, <laughs> but, but since, but since I did go or <laughs> go public with everything, 
the people that contact me and like send me messages and say, oh, thank you for your vulnerability. I was feeling this way and I didn't know. I think I'm going to go talk to somebody. Yeah. If it was one person, I would have been, I was thankful when it was the first person that sent me that, that message. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted. This is why I went public. Mm -hmm. And then it just kept coming in. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Why are people still sitting there in 2019? And, and like, it's not every day, thankfully, but I swear it's like every month you see another police officers killed themselves. Another one's killed. We had in there, Ottawa. One uh, not too long ago, I remember the news inside the building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we mm -hmm. had two officers within five years kill each other, or kill each other, sorry, kill themselves. And I, I'm like, so when, when Roberts killed himself, we were, we were on our way out of town and my phone yeah. was going off. And I'm like, what the heck? It was my colleague's. Because they know about it. They were the mm. first people at work, really, that I opened up to. Right. Because I trusted them. These are the people in diversity, race relations, and community engagement team mm -hmm. that I'm on. Um, they were the first people that I really trusted with with divulging that before I even went public. So they knew what, what I was going through and that I was uh, dealing with PTSD. So my phone was going off. We were going out of town. We were going to Prince Edward County. And it was like Friday, going off. And I'm like, she's like, Dom's like, just, just answer it. So I answer it. It was like, it was like the phone was going off every like, literally every two minutes. Right. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, we're driving to Prince Edward County. Like, who's calling you? This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was one of my, my colleagues and she just said, I don't know if you've heard, but I didn't want you to hear it from somewhere else. And I just want to make sure you're okay. Or even see it. Or even see it. And she just said, uh a police officers killed themselves. And at that point they didn't release his name. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, fuck, like not another, you know? And mm -hmm. it was at that moment that I was like, I, I can't sit on this. You know, I'm not, I'm, Robin, you know, like I'm not, <laughs> not anything special, but I was like, it, I'd been, something had been pulling at me to kind of talk and kind of like advocate for it. Right. And I talked to another officer at work and I don't want to, well, he's out there. He's the bearded cop. Right. Right. So yeah. I spoke to him cause he's a big uh, advocate for men's health and mm -hmm. suicide prevention and mental health. So I, I, I kind of called him and I was like, can I, you know, talk to you and, he, uh, he was like, yeah, for sure. We, we sat and talked and he was like, you know, he kind of backed me and he's like, yeah, do it, man. Like go more, more people out there talking about it. Right. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So when I did it, I was like, I've got to, because I don't want to see, especially one of my, you know, a fellow officer, another one, mm -hmm. auto police officer and their lives for, for what, you know, like. I mean, I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know w what he was dealing with or if he tried to talk. I don't know, mm -hmm. right? But from, from what it looks like, he was a great detective, great guy, and it was out of the blue. And that's the scary part about suicide, that it just the people that do it, it's like, what the heck? It's always it the never saw sense. that coming type yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. um, so when I, when I went, when I went public I was like I can't I can't sit there anymore I can't just fucking sit there you know I was trying to drive when we got that news and I was like yeah can't you know it's 
it's still fresh and like yeah he was like really emotional and and you know we we agreed that that weekend that we weren't gonna look at any social media we were not gonna look at who it was or respond to any messages Mm -hmm. until we got home so we could look at it together so we wouldn't it wouldn't ruin our weekend because things like that do do affect him very like as you can see yeah nobody can see him but uh, it affects him a lot yeah and this one you know and again i suppress those feelings but we were on our our trip and i you know it was fine to Mm -hmm. do it for that point and 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 you know but i was supportive because (laughs) i said if you want to look at it we'll look at it together like we'll go through this together it's not you know Mm. you're not alone like he's never alone but there are people who who are alone in this process and who is it's scary and and they're like i personally don't think that there is enough thank you (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that there's enough support for for anybody who's suffering anywhere but especially you know like for first responders like it's it's scary because they like i said like i read that and i was like i don't know how the fuck anybody could deal with that because seriously like i have a hard time watching like horror movies like i can't watch any gory movies but read even reading that is like reading like a gory horror movie that somebody went through right literally went through yeah. yeah yeah um so while you were recovering you did you take some time off for that so in um, 20 yeah 2016 i took quite a okay. now this was before diagnosis so i didn't know what was going on but i was like i needed to get i needed to take a lot of time i ate all my uh sick time up so much so that excuse me so much so that i i got a check that was very low that didn't cover my mortgage and mm. i was like oh my gosh so it was like i don't know what crap so then i went i kind of fell into a bit bit of debt through that which as we know money issues can cause a lot of yep. mental health issues yep. threw me right down the, the barrel and you know i was coming out of a um a separation and i'm like i was just it was bad did uh so there wasn't like did you have the option of like any extended medical leave for the like mental health? I know like if you had cancer, they probably would have granted right. it. But so here's here's kind of goes back to what you had asked me earlier. The support out there, no one ever told me anything. I was having all this time off. No one came up and was like, "What's going on? Are you okay?" They were just like, "Okay." Oh, and then all of a sudden, I got a check. I'm like, "What the fuck is this?" Mm. And they uh, so I called our you know finance, and they're like, "Oh, it's because you." ate up all your IPP, your uh, sick days. And I was like, uh, great, I don't have enough to pay my bills. Oh, well, we can send you some back, and then you can just pay it off. I'm like, well, no. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, like. So that goes to show you that I was off, and I have to eat up. I don't want to say how much sick time we have, but we have a lot of sick time. And nobody came forward to say anything. Is that kind of like their Band-Aid that's like, I'll just have a bunch of sick days. Uh, yeah, because that's what. The, so there, there's a prime example is what. Oh, you have all these sick days. If you need a mental health day, just take a mental health day. Okay, perfect. I'll just go off because I'm fucking tired and sad. Right. And thinking about killing myself, and I'll just go fucking sit at home by myself. Watch some good cartoons. Yeah. I'll come oh, back I got tomorrow, a mental, chipper. Yeah, yeah, I got a mental health day. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. Right. It's it, it, 
there's not like if, if I was a supervisor and I saw one of my employees no anywhere mm -hmm. taking all these sick days would you not think hey can we talk for a sec no yeah nothing interesting the only thing that was said was like oh you're sure taking a lot of sick time we're short on the road eh yeah it's more looked at as like a negative not it like, is do you need help it's like hey yeah. like and i'll tell you right now when i went off on ptsd and i actually left the road i know for a fact that supervisors one in particular was was poking fun at it hmm. on platoon and they do unfortunately you know unfortunately there's still people out there they're like, well, how the fuck does he have PTSD? He's there. How right. did he get it? You know, well, and it kind of goes to the whole thing. So, like, I didn't want to ask right off the top. Like, did something big happen? Like, you you answered it like it was mm -hmm. a cumulative, which yeah. totally makes sense. But mm -hmm. again, when you get that first impression of PTSD, something major happened. Yeah, and that's, right, like you were. That's also part of that stigma. Yeah, right? exactly. So that's a, a good thing to know mm -hmm. that. And that was the question I said to my, I asked my doctor, I'm like, well, hold on. Like I didn't, and I wasn't in a shootout. Like I didn't have any near death experiences. Mm -hmm. And that was the, that was the learning point for me with PTSD that it doesn't matter. It's like this accumulative thing. It's this bucket and all these calls are going into my bucket and all these deaths and all this and that and that blah, blah, blah. And then that last one is what did it right mm -hmm. and i say it's the last one that did it but really it's all of them mm -hmm. piled on top of each other the last one just sank to the bottom and pushed everything right. else out but i think like the important thing too is like it was to a point like he was getting so many suicide and death calls that people were calling him off officer death so mm. it's like and it was to a point too where you were saying um that you know you would you would sign on and you were scared mm. that you were going to get a call mm -hmm. that was a suicide or a death yeah. because that's all you were getting. Yeah, and that was that was my last call. And I mm -hmm. uh, for what for whatever reason I don't know if people are believe or not, but I would so there's an early car on the road in the morning. So one person from day shift where I worked and I worked out of west would come in and log on so the night shift can start heading in, right? So I can take the calls that come in. So I remember sitting in, in the cruiser and I was facing, so I work at a, I was working on Huntmar, facing Huntmar Road, about to log on. So I filled everything in on my, my computer in the car and I remember just thinking like, fuck, there's going to be a call. There's going to be a dead body. I know it. And as soon as I hit the button, the MDT went off, the computer, and dispatch came over the air. We have a 28-year-old VSA which is vital signs absent. And I was like, yeah, 10 four. And I just sank like, mm -hmm. like I just knew. And I remember that's like, uh, you know, that call, like a, her name's Amanda. <sighs> that was like, I don't, she stuck with me. Till till to today, like I still remember her. I, you know, and I remember what she looks like looked like on her floor, and I remember her dad screaming her name and running in and laying down with her, like, like that. For me, was like, it was just like I, 
and I could, the scary part was that I could, she was going through a lot of pain. She had broken her ankle as a young child, snowboarding in front of her house and, uh, chronic pain. So she, it didn't heal properly and she suffered from chronic pain. Um, and I was like, I just couldn't do any. I was, it was the first time that I ever felt so hopeless or hopeless, helpless, helpless, helpless. And I couldn't do anything. The father's crying, the mom's crying and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've got to ask these questions. I've got to ask questions. I got to talk to the, and I have my notebook and I'm like, I'm a fucking asshole. I'm like, sorry, I have to ask you a few questions here. And inside I'm dying. I'm just want to scream and like cry. Right. Like I'm, you know, and I was there the whole time. I was there for, oh gosh, all morning. I don't know how many hours I was there at the house, right up to body removal, the, you know, the um, funeral home, yeah. which sends their body removal people to come and carry her out. And we stood by the door as she she left. And I was like, like this, this family's worst nightmare. Like the father went in in the night because he heard a noise, looked at his daughter, Thought she had hair on her face. Oh, she's asleep. She just must have had a dream or something. Hit something. But it was blood. Like she had passed away. You know, like she... And it's like, I can't I can't do anything for these people. But I've got to do my job and I've got to go. And so I went, did my job, wrote down, did the report. And I was like, I did... I would never suggest this. I went on... And this is where I was like, I want to know these people. Because I was, I was taken to that point where I'm like, I need, like, I want to know who these people are. So I went on Amanda's uh, <clears throat> Facebook. And on the face of it, she's this happy kid, full of life and, you know, friends and family and like Christmas pictures. And I'm like, and she's laying dead on the floor at 28. You know, and I was like, fuck, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it was the last one. I'm like, I can't. And at that point, I was like, I can't. I can't. How am I going to be a cop for the rest of my life? Or for, mm -hmm. the rest of my, for the rest of my career? And I can't even, I'm dying inside. And I was like, I don't want to. I had a huge fear of failure when I was growing up. I used humor. I was, you know, I'm a silly guy. And mm -hmm. I hid behind my humor growing up through school. But I can't, there was no humor to hide behind here. There was nothing that I could hide behind. All these feelings and thoughts, they were, they were there and they were killing me inside. I had all this anger, this sadness, and I was like, I can't. I'm like, I don't fucking want to, I don't want to live. I can't, I, I can't live. I can't finish my career, something I dreamed of doing. I don't even think I can finish my, the rest of my life because I can't live the way I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. So that call was like the, it, that call saved my life ultimately because it got me to the point where I'm like, I can't live anymore. I don't want to live. I'm like slowly, but not that I didn't want to live. I did want to live. Let me rephrase that. But I, I was slowly thinking like, okay, well maybe I just like, you know, to the point where I was wanting to touch the yeah. gun to my head and, and mm -hmm. doing that. So ultimately I, and I've never really come to this, but like Amanda kind of saved my life. Right. So, but I had to go through all that, like the, you know, and I never, and I, re, I, I wanted to go to the funeral, but I'm like, well, I don't want to, I might be that 
memory for them mm-hmm. that the cop was here. And that's the last memory of our daughter that we have, you know, all the fire and ambulance and the police officers, you know, and we have to go through a room and like we have to do this the whole time she's laying there. I'm stepping, not stepping over her because I think that's very, stepping around her and like, but I, I just kept looking at her. I'm like, she was a beautiful girl. Like, you know, and I'm like, so sad that someone, and I'm now I'm like, I need to let people know that mm-hmm. that's not, you, you don't need to do that. Like there's more out there. There's help out there. And if my vulnerability and me reliving some of my feelings and my emotions and crying on on air or not a podcast not on air but on a podcast then so be it you know i i want people to see that vulnerability and the trans transparency you know mm-hmm. and, and get the message out there that you're not alone we're not alone you know you Ryan, you know mm-hmm. dom knows like it's more people suffer from it than then we know the, right? like, that that's the uh, unfortunate thing that when you get so people like when you share your story and so many people share it back with you it i i don't know i've said this it's it's beautiful that people open up and i i want that and then when you take a step back you're like there's a lot of people opening up mm-hmm. and there's a lot of you know one of the big things that once I started opening up and I, I started speaking a little bit and, you know, I working where I do, I'm, I'm just involved with a lot of charities mm-hmm. and, and, and doing campaigns and sponsorships and what have you. And you just realize the, the immediate need for funding because like the government, like just can't fund it all. Um, unfortunately we just, we don't have that type of money and they could do a better job. Absolutely. But when it comes down to everything, especially with mental health, we have a bunch of people coming out and speaking now. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, I need help. And then they're like, okay, uh, I'm ready. And people are like, got to wait six months. Yeah. You know, unless you reach a crisis. Right. Unless. And that's the. You know, then you can get help when, yeah. once you're like at the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. All these people who haven't reached that point yet are stuck in this, this limbo. Yeah. You know, and like you said, there's there's the medication aspect, but that's not going to solve it all. You know, there's all these other things that we we do exercise. If you do meditation, if you do, you know, uh, Reiki or or whatever you believe in Mm -hmm. that works for you, they have that, but like, it's a combination of all these things together. And when you haven't received that, that help, that professional help, and you're trying to do it all on your own or with people who might not be educated in the subject and, and all that, like, it's just, it's 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 too much. Yeah. So then you just realize, like, I, I'm all about funding now too. It's like, yeah. hey, let's talk about it, but let's also like raise some money for it too. Yeah. It's definitely it's a big thing. Do you find so now you've opened up? You said you've had a few people reach out to you. Are you seeing change? Um, whether it's administratively with more resources being poured in, more more people coming in to to talk to you or, or being available um, with with officers sharing their stories or getting help they need? Like, are you yes. it, it slowly seeing a change? I can see probably not as quick as you would like. No, I mean, of course not. But yeah. I think that's everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you see it in some services around, around Ontario. Um, for example, Durham police and uh, York regional police. Um, I was speaking to an inspector from Durham and they had a course called uh, mental health first aid. Uh, mm-hmm. And, 
York Regional Police came in and they gave them the course. And this is basically a course to not only talk about your own mental health, but also what to look for in others Mm -hmm. when they might be suffering. Um, There's a few places that that put on courses like that. I think... uh, not St. John's, what's Red Cross, I think they yeah, do one as well. Yeah, I know well. there's a few around here, yeah. Yeah, so um, I actually reached out to to uh, York and Durham, and uh, they've given me some contact. They're actually in here in Ottawa, the people that run oh, wow. that course. So I'm going to try and get that course and get become a trainer mm-hmm. in that course and bring that to our service, to Ottawa Police. Um, with Chief Slowly coming in, uh, he's, he's very his vision for mental health and like uh, morale in in the service is, is like at the forefront. Mm-hmm. It's one of his big, big things. And, and he's put very progressive. Yeah. He's very progressive. He's brought, or he's put a lot of the funding. Or not, I don't know how much, but quite a bit of funding towards mental health. Right. And uh, well, wellness for police officers and just to bring the, the morale back up in, within the service. Um, so I'm hoping beyond hope that that's going to stick and that he's going to mm-hmm. follow through on that because without it, without it, without the chief's backing, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm just a guy False screaming flag. in the wind, right? Like right. It, it's, it's, where's it going to go? It's not going to get, it'll reach a few people, which is great. And I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, I love the fact that people have opened up to me and, you know, there was a day where Dom's like, oh my gosh, can you get off your freaking phone? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to answer these people. I know it's one of those because too, eh? And, and, no. and I've got to, I've got to give that balance too, right? Because I've, you know, and the bearded cop, I don't want to say his real name yeah. on air. On air. Are we on air? That's Hello? okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't real, I don't want to say his real name, but he he was like, listen, you're going to have to, you're not going to be able to answer everybody. You're going to be like, people are going right to be messaging you. Yeah. And like, you're not, be okay with not answering everybody. But at the beginning, I was like, I got to answer everybody. I got to, oh my gosh, this person asked me this question. And I'm, I was, I was like on my phone nonstop. And it, 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 was, it was a, it, fl- it was a flood of, it was a flood of people like coming in and saying, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for opening up or mm-hmm. even people with like their own mental health issues. I was like, get off your fucking phone. I know. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. And it was kind of like, I was like, okay, like I'm taking a backseat. Mm-hmm. I'm on the back burner. Like, I don't feel like, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. I, uh, like, that's exactly like what I'm going through right now. So it's not only the mental health stuff, the podcast stuff, the work stuff. Like, yeah. I- I'm like you. I want to do good. I want to help everybody I can, yeah. every single person. And I eventually will probably answer the message, probably not right away. Cause you, there's also, I got to still take care of me. Yeah, I can't, just, that's, can't just take care of yeah. you. Yeah. I still have my responsibilities. I relationship, you know, you can't just be on your phone all night. Um, oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but like, that's the thing I'm learning right now. It's like, it's, it's where do you put the energy and how do you juggle it? And how do you, and it's great that people want to reach out and, and thank you. And, but like a, Sometimes it's like it's too much. Yeah. And like eventually you got to find that it's, that balance it's point. It's like like uh, it's I think it's great that like, you know, he's he's taking this step to kind of like, because he is from where he was in 2017 to where he is now, huge like huge work and I'm so proud of him for working as hard as he has. Like he's, you know, from from pretty much just being very like very vulnerable and very like you know, he would cry all the time to, you know, 
crying every once in a while. I didn't cry the, all the time. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's okay to cry, mm-hmm. and it's okay to be vulnerable, and it's okay to have emotions and open up. But now it's like, okay, like, you know, it's great and, you know, I'm so proud of him and it's, I'm sure it's not easy for him to come out, especially, you know, like with his colleagues, some, I'm sure some of the police officers that know him probably make fun of him. But when he's on it, he was on, when this first started, he was on his phone. I was like, oh my God, like get the fuck off. Like from somebody else's perspective who, you know, right? who's on the other end of that, who's not involved in in that journey it's like okay well now you're on the forefront doing podcasts too with them so there you go yeah yeah and i've completely been pushed away from the microphone by the way (laughs) well it's because i talk really like you know a lot Um, i'm just kidding (laughs) one one thing i'm curious about uh, through this conversation and and just learning about sort of the the thought process and what you were going through still responding so we talked a little bit off air and you see it on social media a lot. Like a lot of the time police are coming, like, you know, they used to be heroes in the fifties <laughs> and sixties and, you know, truly blessed. I, I yeah. still think that what you all do for the community is intricate. Or, or, like it's just so important and I still consider you heroes, but a lot of the time for a lot of people, sometimes you're the villain, yeah. whether rightfully or wrongfully. Yeah. Some things happen. You know, we, we have all the, the things in the states, uh, of course, that, that that come up and go viral, mm-hmm. which are truly unfortunate, and then I don't believe are is a representation of police officers. Um, just to cut my point off a little bit, it's one of my favorite sayings: is you know, police officers have like millions of interactions a day, you know, with people, and like, while still awful and unfortunate, that like once you know it happens once a week or you get this viral moment like that. The odds, if you're looking at statistically, like most interactions are very pleasant and, and or at least productive or at least by the like it just it's good. Yeah. It's the way it's supposed to be. Nonetheless, a lot of people, especially nowadays, uh, and most vulnerable communities consider police villains or that they're the bad guys. They're the mm-hmm. ones who take away things. You know, there's a lot of back and forth, especially with racialized communities and and, and underserved. And I guess I mean, you do that now uh, yeah. as a job, like, but my question is, and you can elaborate on it is one, the thinking that got me to this question was, you know, how much of these things that happen that are, that are really unfortunate come from the fact of a brain injury or that they ha- have this PTSD undiagnosed and they're going through all this stuff and then something charges and makes it happen, you know? And like, what does that kind of the outcome do to a police officer's mental health the morale you were talking about the wellness that like you're i'm sure a lot of you are out there trying to be like i just want to do good and help these people but they think i'm quote unquote and sorry to your friend like the pig yeah or you know like it's kind of twofold right like you get the the one side that like everything's happening and probably that's what has to do with a lot of these really terrible situations Mm -hmm. And that, like, the outcome has now created this thing that now comes back at you the other way. Yeah. You know, I take a look at the the drug injection site thing that happened, um, or the tent city in Ottawa that just mm-hmm. happened. And my Twitter was just full of, like, like just F the Ottawa police and this and that, you know? Like, I can't imagine that that creates 
a good thing for you as well on the other end of it. Yeah, I mean... I know that was a lot. No, no. I do that. I tangent <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, that I mean, that that plays a role in in how we feel when we go out, right? Like, especially into some of the communities where we're not always liked, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I mean, I, I like to say that I'm a nice guy in and out of uniform. I don't really change much in and out of uniform. I mean, I have to put on my police voice at times you know mm-hmm. i like you do like i have but you have to take you have to take control at times but yeah it, it definitely plays a role in 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 it where you know because it's like anywhere right there's bad apples everywhere right there's bad apples in policing there's bad apples in wedding dress selling <laughs> journalism sure there right is, there's yeah. like there's so there it's it's everywhere um and it doesn't all stem you know a lot, there's a lot of in the racialized communities there's a lot of newcomers to canada right so these people already have an instilled fear of police from where they come from right so i've done a lot of a lot of outreach with uh where i am now and we go and we talk in uniform so that, that they can see that we're good people. We're human beings just like them, you know, and it's not like back home where they come from, where the police might be corrupt. Um, we are there to help, although it might not seem that way at, at times, right? Mm-hmm. Especially with some of the things that are going on within the media right now, right? Mm-hmm. With the trial that's going on and... Um, so it does. It makes it. It makes our job a bit harder when we have to go to a call where we, where they might not like us. I mean, you don't hear, like you said, the million good things that happen or the million good things that police officers do because that doesn't sell a paper, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying that media is a horrible thing, but they want to only. Uh, they're going to put stuff out that's going to sell, right? Yeah. And the, the fluffy stuff does doesn't doesn't sell i went through a personal situation where i was accused of racial profiling sued my my i was sued with the with the service um and it, it my name was mud for three days so i had a uh, dog blog i don't know if you heard of that one it's, you know there i was just bashed all over these blogs and and through the media and um what the media did was take my my testimony and they chopped it up so much that even myself I read it and I was like I sound like a blubbering idiot but it didn't happen that way they just cut it up to mm-hmm. make it sound like I was like stumbling over my words and so yeah it makes it diff- it makes it difficult yeah and not to mention like when you win a case like that or, or whatever, like they're going to say, well, the system, you know, was against them in the first place. Right. Like even if you it's win a, that suit, right. You're still not a winner because maybe a lot of people would say, well, you yeah. won because you're white or you're the, the and, system protects you off. Like it's just, and this is, this is the education piece, right? That yeah. the, and this is what my, my unit does. We go out and we educate people that, you know, we educate and we have to educate the police as well. So what we do in in my unit is for the new recruits that are coming in, we give them 
uh, training, right? So we bring people in from, you know, the black community, the Muslim community, Jewish community, and they learn. I, when I first got into the unit, I went and sat on one of these courses um, that they were giving the new recruits, and I was, like, floored at what I was ignorant to growing up. You know? mm -hmm. So there's, there's a learning piece on both ends, like learning for the community and learning for the police alike. And I think it's so important. Absolutely. Because, to, to, you know, not to say, like, I'm sure racial profiling does happen, like, for for not only for officers, sure. but for everybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, that happened for me. Yeah. yeah. You know? That happened for me. I was at work and, like, you know, earlier Robin's, like, wedding dresses, that was, like, a random comment thrown in, like, uh, <laughs> his spiel. But, like, I sell wedding dresses. And it's, like, I was racial profiled because I apparently had said, you know, oh, like, I don't want you to try that on because it's over your budget. And then the next day I get on uh, a review that says I didn't let them try it on because I assume that they couldn't afford it because of the color of their skin. Mm. I'm going to tell you right now, I have no racial profiling, whatever, like race, racist bone in my body. I can't even kill a bug. Mm. But it happens not only to like, it, it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. To everybody. So it's really, because I didn't know that the police officers also had that aspect where, you know, the members of the community were coming in and educating certain things. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think if a lot of people knew that, like think, that yeah. that's a, that's a, because that's what they, when you see people attacking police officers, like that's what they want, right? They want mm. to be listened to and heard and their concerns that's, heard. That's mm. exactly what it is. And yeah. it is important because there are certain things that we don't understand or we don't get. Yeah. Um, and going to your point, I mean, it'd be so much easier if it was, you could just have that conversation and just be like, oh my God, no, like that misunderstanding. Oh God, yeah. But unfortunately, once it gets on the internet, like it just, You're it's, there. It's, it's, gone, there. it's gone, right? Like, Especially with him too. Like when mm. he got like accused of racial profiling, like, he didn't win that. He didn't win that court case. He lost. Well, it was settled. Well, you know what I mean. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. But he's not like it's. It's just so unfortunate. I don't it, know. It but that's it. Thing. That's what it comes down to: is education and and giving people a voice, right? Mm -hmm. To to speak mm -hmm. and to be heard and Listen and to have to, that conversation, yeah. right? And it's all about conversation because without it. There's two sides. Communication. Communicate. What's well, a conversation? Communication. Yeah. But without it, there's two sides that think one thing about the other side, and there's nothing. There's exactly. No, when know, I'm not close to the microphone. Really, I mean, like you said, there's bad apples. There's I'm sure there's racist police officers. There's power abusers. Absolutely, oh, gosh, all yeah. of that is true. Mm -hmm. But I think the majority of officers want to get in because they want to help people. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like I think that's calling card for most yeah. and like you said unfortunately things get out of hand and then everyone gets painted with a, a brush, a brush yeah. and yeah. It, it sucks but you're right the education part is truly yeah. like how we're gonna get through this and mm -hmm. like listening to one another it's like okay yeah i i get that but also like you the, the law is the law that like that type of thing and yeah. officers I'm, aren't here to scare you or yeah. you know it's just I well mean, and that's it and that's what we and we even did a um it was called a court 101 session so we had a crown attorney come in and talk about the court cases. Now this was more for the trial that's going on um, at the moment, just so people could understand the process of how court works. Because most of the times you see, okay, this 
you know, if it makes media, this happened, they're in court, this is the outcome. Yeah. But you don't know what happens in between. You don't know how the actual court system works and how much work goes into that, you know, from both sides, defense and, mm-hmm. and the crown. And like, it's, there's so much that goes into it. It's, you know, without knowing and without being educated, you would have no clue what you would just be like, well, how did that guy get off? Or how did that guy get accused? Like, you know, like without knowing and without knowing someone else's background, you can't yeah. pass judgment on them. Yeah. Right. You, and same with me. Like you, you don't know me from hole in the wall, but I'm a police officer. So I'm automatically a bad guy in some people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. But I have a, so I have a little story where I can say, this is how I work as a police officer is that on that day that I deal with a person, that's how I treat them. The respect that I get from that person is the respect that I'll give or the respect I give that I hope the respect I get back. Right. It doesn't always work, but there was one day where I had to, I had a call that I was, a landlord wanted this guy out and he was being evicted or he was already evicted and he was refusing to leave. So I'm going and I was working in rural at this time and it's fire like it's my backup's fire so I get to the I run him I get all the information from him and he's got quite quite the rap sheet mm-hmm. and I go in and I I deal with the situation and I buy him a bit more time so he's happy that he gets to kind of gather his stuff together and the, the landlord's happy because he's like okay he's going to be gone by I think it was like one o'clock or something so Everybody's happy. I leave. I go out to my car and I sit and I'm doing my notes and my report. And all of a sudden I see the guy coming towards me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm, like, I'm like, why? Like who? he's coming out. He's going to, he's upset about something. Or right. maybe the landlord's like just saying, yeah, fine. That's fine. And then he calls him or, and says, you're, you're, as soon as that cop's gone, you're out. I'm coming to throw your shit out. Right. So the guy comes up to the car. He's like, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He goes, do you, did you, did you run me before you got here? I was like, yeah. He's like, so you saw all the things I've done? And he had some bad stuff on mm-hmm. there, like some violent crimes. And I said, yes, I did. He's like, and you still treated me the way you treated me? I said, yeah. He's like, wow. He's like, thank you. And he shook my hand. And he's like, no one's ever treated me like that. Every other cop that I've dealt with because of what I've done in the past has been an, he's like, sorry, an asshole to me. I was like, well, that's unfortunate. Mm. And he, I was like, but I don't, he's like, well, why would you treat me like that? And I said, well, cause I don't know you. I know what you've done. I can see mm-hmm. what you've done, but I don't know who you are until I get on scene. So if you, if you came out and like, fuck you pig, you're an asshole. Well, things would probably have been yeah. different. I said, but you didn't do that. You know, you listened to my side. I listened to your side. And you are now able to have a bit more time. And I go away. We haven't fought. You're not under arrest. You know, and and you're shaking my hand. And now you're going back in to pack your stuff up. Get out. But you know what I mean? Like, it was like, that was a good moment for me. Because I'm like, well, maybe that guy now will go and say, well, maybe they're not all bad. So maybe he'll he'll do things different. Right. You know? Yeah. So that is part of like that education. And that's just a small little thing where I'm like, this, this guy could have, 
Because, yeah, as soon as someone sees that rap sheet, they probably go in guns a-blazing, and that's then it. that like, escalates that situation, yeah. and then they get into what we talked about. Yeah. That becomes that viral moment, yeah. probably, on on the yeah. on, on Twitter, and you're just like, oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's next? So you've come out on social media now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're working with Sabrina, yeah. who I don't let you talk about a little bit, uh, that, but what... Where do you want this to go? What are you trying to do? What What are some things on the horizon that you're trying to make of this whole, you know, silver cop persona? Yeah. Uh, um. And 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 you know, helping people. Yeah. So my whole thing is to bring that educational piece and the mental health, um, kind of first step, first aid program, right, to the service, so we can teach people to look for the signs, you know, for people. So if someone's off on using up all their IPP or all their sick time, something's going right. on, let's talk to them, you know, and there's not enough of that. So that's my big advocacy is to, to raise that awareness and, and bring it and break and really just end that stigma of like, Oh, we're the tough, we're tough. We're cops. We don't talk and we don't show our feelings and our emotions. Right? No, f- fuck that we're human mm-hmm. we are men and women that put on a, a uniform and go and serve the public but if we're not good with ourselves if we're not good inside how the heck can we serve the public how can we be a, a good service to them you know like how am I supposed to help someone that's suffering from something if I'm suffering yeah. like if my bucket's already full I can't have your shit on me Yeah. so I'm gonna do and that's what happens, you know, like you're like, I'm not, you start thinking like oh, that fucking dodge calls, you know, you go through your head, but you can't, you can't mm. dodge calls. You have to go to the calls, but you, that's what's going through your mind. So you're not really a service out there. So that's what I want to do is like, just bring that awareness and make sure people know that they can talk. And if my going public is people's voice for right now, but it gets them talking out, outside and with each other, or maybe someone they trust or, you know, going to a doctor, mm. then then I've already done my job. Um, and then, yeah, so that's my own personal advocacy with the, with the police service. And um, sorry, one more thing. I do want in the police service, I want to hold the people that think it's funny still, that people go off on PTSD. I want them held accountable. Mm. You know, I'm not going to say the staff sergeant's name that was bashing me and, uh, and other people. And I know he's not the only one. But I want them held accountable. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if I do get to meet with the chief, which I'm supposed to at some point, I'm going to bring these names up to him because I think they, he needs to know who's working for him, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they just, I think they need it educating because they might think it's like, maybe they're suffering inside. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe they're suffering and they're like, oh, fucking loser. <laughs> and yeah. they're going home and suffering. So that's my, you know. That's my my thing with the police, and I I don't I I have to be careful because I don't know about you, but when I was going through a lot of my stuff, it was a lot of anger inside me. I was very angry at a, at a certain point, and I was like, it that just that's not mm-hmm. a good a good feeling. It's a, a negative emotion, obviously, yeah. and you know I try and stay away from that. And sometimes I can feel it, um, especially if I'm passionate about something. I, I get really passionate, <laughs> and I and I come across sometimes I come across. This is where my sternness comes in my voice like it changes and like I get really passionate when I speak sometimes but it is it it kind of angers me because I went through it 
mm-hmm. right? So I, I those emotions are real. That's yeah. like a trigger, right? Like I like I think back to like knowing that he said stuff, and I'm like, fuck you, like you don't know where I w- what I was dealing with. Yeah, you know. So me coming forward is now letting everybody know what I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. So right. as for Sabrina and I, um, we just I don't know. We want to kind of go into the schools and and get them get them <laughs> talk to them when when they're young right yeah. because let's be honest school is hard right i mean when you're going through school there's so many you're, so many labels right you're jock you're a nerd mm-hmm. you're a goth you're whatever you're there's so much out there, and you, you try and oh my gosh, where do I fit in? And kids are just mean. Uh, oh, and, ki- and kids you are know? mean. So like, mean. and you're going through hormones. So where, where the heck? Oh shit! <laughs> where, Chair where, almost just took a yeah. nosedive on. Oh, gosh, uh, where do where, you know where do I fit in? And I'm like going, you go, you're going through hormones. You're like, so we want to go through and make sure that the kids know that it, you're it's okay to feel what you're feeling mm-hmm. and go through some stuff, go through sad moments and, you know, but we want to make it interactive. Like we want to really get the kids talking and not just be like, I know you, well, you've done stuff with Sabrina at uh, yeah. the uh, Royal Ottawa, right? So it's kind of like that mm-hmm. scale, like where the, I guess to throw the ball yeah, around. And right. Little brains. They have little, little brains. brains that's it. Yeah. yeah. So we want to, we want to kind of, kind of do that as well. I won't go into too much because maybe Sabrina and I can come back. Yeah, exa- at some point. Absolutely. I, plugging us and telling you we're going to be back on but yeah so we you know i don't want to take stay tuned take too much of the credit it's all my it's all mine it's not sabrina it's all my <laughs> but uh yeah no i think what her and i yeah. have planned the collaboration i think is is going to be great and i think we have a lot of plans like yeah you know for the for 2020 and yeah i think getting getting into the kids at the kids at a young age and you know, she wants to talk about her growing up with what she dealt with and all her stuff, right? And I want to kind of let the kids know that if you do suffer from mental illness, it doesn't have to stop you in your tracks. You don't have to quit on your dreams and give up your dreams. And even if you're in your dream job, as I am, like this is what all I've ever wanted to do is a police, be a police officer. Even if you're in your dream job and you, something happens, you know, you suffer from mental anguish or mental illness or, you know, and... PTSD in my case you don't be afraid to talk because it, I, I didn't I didn't lose my job I still function at work I, I'm still functioning with it I'm still able to keep working mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be the end of your dreams right mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest thing is like it's like that goes back to the, this doesn't define who I am right I'm I get to now know that I'm in control, right? Mm-hmm. PTSD, sure, it's a part of who I am, but it's not exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I get, I live with it. And I can function and I can work. And I can still do my job, the job I dreamed of doing. And now with this advocacy, I feel that I'm able to serve again. We're... I don't know about you when you went through your stuff, but I, the guilt that I had going through it and coming off the road and doing this and like not being able to do the things I was doing before, not being able to serve the way I wanted to serve, mm-hmm. 
that was eating away at me too. So even though I was recovering, I was still like not being able to like, I'm, that is a huge work in progress for me. This, the guilt, right. I, I, you know, if I could get rid of two big things, it would be the anxiety and the guilt right now. I'd be better, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. that guilt is definitely, it, it eats at me, yeah. you know, and I just, but again, it's, a, it's, it's all part of the work. And all part of that journey, right? Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Um, thanks for coming on, yeah. Dom. Thanks for joining him. Uh, Thank you. Really yeah, awesome. appreciate you know you sh- being open and, and vulnerable and, and sharing some of these stories. And um, I think like, I'm a huge believer not only in in the youth aspect of of mental health. Like that's I for me it's youth and, and workplace. Uh, similar to you, I guess. Um, fixing that, I think with youth you can get them there with the resources like you might eliminate like 80 percent of adult problems you know mm-hmm. um that, that that's huge um but that you know like i said you know i have the utmost respect for your profession and that you he- you hear about all these things um and but you don't under- really understand what that means yeah um oh yeah you, you're like oh yeah first responders uh, need extra therapy because they they go through tough PTSD and you're like oh that's really unfortunate but you, what does that look like what does that feel like what does yeah. that 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 learn and you know I didn't know anything about PTSD before this podcast and now having you know you and a couple other guests on and, and talking about it like really just painting the picture of it all and it's like mm-hmm. oh I, yeah. I, that's what I want right like to tell people what it, uh, those feelings are and help people like put them yeah. in that that mindset so um, appreciate you coming on and. Oh. You know, Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, definitely not not easy for sure. But um, the more people talk about it, the more hopefully yeah. that I could just slow, <laughs> painfully slow. Well, but we're getting there, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And strength in numbers, right? Um, so people can follow you. On the Silver Cop. Well, in Instagram at yeah. the Silver Cop. The Silver Cop, Twitter, yeah. the Silver Twitter, Cop. Twitter, Silver Cop 1. So number one Someone at the end of it. Someone took it, eh? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so there's a one at the end of it. And then I have my, uh, I have a blog as well. Oh, do you? Yeah. Where's that? It's just the sil- silvercup.com, the silvercup.com. Okay. We'll make sure we link all that. Don't yeah. you worry, folks. Robin, Dom, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.